welcome to Carefree, the podcast where we talk about life in and after foster care from every point of view. I'm Tammy, your host. I'm also a licensed master social worker, a trauma therapist, and the founder and director of Second Shift, where we assist at-risk and aging out foster care youth to transition to sustainable and connected independence. Today, we are bringing you a special Halloween edition of Carefree. I am sharing real-life horror stories from foster care, true tales of frightening experiences of abuse, trauma, and injustice that happened to children and adolescents who were in foster care. These are not stories of before foster care. These are not the experiences that brought them into care. These are the events that happened after they were removed from an unsafe environment and placed in custody to keep them safe. I will not be interviewing guests for this episode due to the nature of the topic. Every contributor will remain anonymous. All potentially identifying information has been changed, but the stories are true. I'm so glad you're here. Now let's get started. On May 1st, 2020, 16-year-old foster child Cornelius Frederick died. His death was a result of injuries that resulted from being incorrectly restrained for 12 minutes by staff at a Sequel Youth Behavioral Health Facility in Lakeside, Michigan. The behavior that led to the restraint was throwing a sandwich. Cornelius got angry at another child and threw his sandwich at them. The staff restrained him. His death made the news, a news story that shed light on sequel youth and family services and brought investigations into that agency and their facilities. However, the reactive and emotionally dysregulated behavior of children and the resulting response of staff to restrain and stop that behavior is not exclusive to sequel and their facilities. It happens everywhere and it happens much more often than you would imagine. Physical, emotional, social, and verbal abuses happen in facilities and foster homes every day. This month, I'm going to share some stories of the experiences of some of the young people we know. Before I share any stories, I would like to offer this disclaimer. All identifying information has been removed for the privacy of those who shared their stories. Everyone I will talk about is human and subject to their own perceptions and biases. I can assure you that like every other people group, the foster children and service providers mentioned in these stories have a varying degree of culpability. The social workers, foster parents, therapists, and direct care staff involved are not monsters. They're humans who found themselves in extreme circumstances under extreme stress. Often, they did not have the training, support, education, and insight to manage what they were expected to manage. Statistically, very often, when a person pursues a job in the helping professions, it's because they themselves have endured something and have received help from others. Or maybe they didn't receive help, but they wanted it. So often, they want to spend their lives helping others. So this is a good thing. The problem occurs when these humans who have been hurt don't heal before stepping into someone else's pain. Many people don't 
know how their trauma impacts them until they're under extreme stress and in the middle of someone else's trauma and stress. When someone with unhealed trauma is under stress, they react. That's just how trauma works. And often those reactions are not healthy. So while I don't offer excuses for the events I'm going to recount, I do encourage understanding, empathy, and discussion about how we can change things for the better. The stories. Story one. One afternoon, while working at a residential facility, a therapist noticed quite a few of the youth gathered outside of their house. As the therapist approached the group, they became agitated and were whispering. The therapist realized they were encouraging one of the children to talk to them. They asked what was going on. Some of the youth stated how this one child had been restrained by some of the staff in the woods. The children stated that because the staff were out of sight, they were especially aggressive and had dragged this child through the dirt, gravel, and an ant bed. One of the youth urged the injured youth to lift their shirt and showed the therapist. Reluctantly, they raised their shirt to reveal raw red streaks running down their back and side, along with fresh ant bites. The therapist noticed there was still dirt and pebbles embedded in some of the scrapes. The therapist reported the incident, but there was no disciplinary action taken because there was no evidence. Specifically, there were no adult witnesses or camera footage because it was outside of the reach of the cameras. Story two. One congregate care staff reported that while walking on campus, they saw one of the residents running across the campus with another direct care staff in hot pursuit. The observing staff person tried to find out what was going on, but the other staff would not respond and waved them off. The child ran around the corner of a building and the pursuing staff person followed. The observing staff person stepped back just in time to see the adult catch the other child, grab them, lift them into the air over their head and body slam them to the ground. The event was reported, investigated, and nothing was done. It was the word of one against another, and the reporting staff was told that the other staff person was too important to lose and that they had been talked to. Story three. Many incidences of medical neglect were reported. One residential therapist reported that a fight broke out while they were on call and on campus over a weekend. One of the residents appeared to be having an asthma attack or heat stroke. The child passed out, collapsed, and were unable to use their arms and legs. The child was struggling to breathe and was disoriented. The therapist accompanied the youth to be examined by the campus nurse and wait for paramedics. However, the paramedics were never called and transportation to medical care was refused. The therapist reports being scared that the child would die while they remained with the resident for hours while they recovered. One youth who had spent years in congregate care reported that they received a sports-related back injury. This was reported to the facility they resided at, but they were never provided medical care. The direct care staff refused to take them to be examined. The child's social worker corroborated the report that there were requests and documentation of this medical neglect, but no medical care was ever provided. 
The child aged out of care and continues to have chronic back pain impacting their ability to work. A clinical staff person who was on call during the middle of the night because a child had reportedly consumed cleaning liquid. The staff person asked them if someone was transporting the child to the ER. They were told that there was no extra staff available, so they would have to come in and pick the child up and transport them to the ER. The child had to wait nearly two hours before receiving medical care. Story four. A youth reported that they and their siblings were in a foster family home, but it was clear the family only wanted one of the siblings so they could adopt them. The children were physically and emotionally abused and eventually kicked out of the home. No one believed them at first, and by the time they had gained trust and support, they had been separated, and eventually they lost their trust in the adults who were supposed to be caring for them. Story five. One therapist reported that one of their residential clients with a history of abuse by the hands of a male relative was very sensitive to correction and criticism. The resident would run anytime they felt criticized or shamed. The therapist tried to help the staff to understand the resident's response, but was told that if the resident would just listen, there would not be a problem. The resident ran away almost daily and was often cornered and trapped by three to five large male staff when caught, re-traumatizing them multiple times a week. Story six, a residential staff person reported that while escorting a youth into a house, they walked in on another adult staff person yelling at one of the residents and slamming their head into the wall. The incident happened outside of the range of cameras, so there was no evidence and no consequences for the abusing staff. This next story is a little graphic, and you may want to have young children leave the room. Story seven. One resident at a congregate care facility reported that another youth they lived with would masturbate, ejaculate all over the bathroom, and then refuse to clean it up. The other more compliant children would have to clean it before they could leave to go eat or attend school. Until the residence was clean, they were not permitted to leave. Story eight. A former staff of one congregate care facility reported that one of the adult staff was discovered transporting youth to their home to provide them with illegal substances and time to date at their house. After this was discovered, the other residents were no longer allowed to have the freedom to go on outings or to have jobs. They were punished for the impropriety of a staff person. Story nine, multiple reports from youth who were formerly in foster care of being used and exploited for personal labor, not necessarily shared household chores, but staff having youth clean their personal cars or do their personal work. Story 10, one young person who was in foster care reports that they would wake up during the night to see their foster parents standing over them, watching them sleep in their room. They found this to be very traumatic and it has impacted them years later. Story 11, one residential therapist recalls observing a direct care staff person slapping a child across the head and yelling at them. 
When this therapist approached the staff person privately to ask that they not raise their hands or their voice to the kids, they were told that this is the way they raised their kids and they would continue. The therapist reported the incident. There were no consequences and they were told the staff person had been there for years and it was just the way they were. Story 12. One residential therapist stated that the entire house full of residents was shamed, yelled at, berated, and paraded in front of the administrative staff because one of the youth appeared to have a secret and they did not want to share it. Story 13. One former residential therapist reported that due to back-to-back -back fights, the administrative staff had decided to put everyone on lockdown. No one was allowed outside, and this just increased the anxiety and stress of the youth until one night, one of the young clients walked into their office covered in blood after using a rock to fight off an assailant. And last but not least, story 14. Many former residential staff members report similar stories to this one. One former treatment facility staff member shared that they were working with a client who was severely depressed and unresponsive to treatment. The social worker in charge decided to find this child a placement at another facility without including the young person in the plan, so they didn't know. They were in the process of transporting the youth when the client ran away. Even though this youth was being pursued by multiple staff, they disappeared around a corner and were never located. It was assumed that they were found, picked up, and trafficked. This concludes episode one of real life horror stories from foster care. Next time we'll explore how these things can happen and why they are so prevalent. And then we'll discuss what we can do to change things. Until then, be carefree.